Coming up next, sing a little bit of the theme song for us, Brandon. Da 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 dum bum bum bum. Da 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 dum Welcome to the booking. This is Nathan Alperson, your humble and obedient host. Now, fun fact, folks, before we began this episode, and I know we left you on a cliffhanger last time. We had talked about all the reasons that Christians maybe shouldn't read Harry Potter. Now, since that time, <laughs> we've looked up what our wand, our house, and our... We've definitely been through the sorting ceremony Patronus, at yeah. Pottermore. We are all in our houses. Yeah. I think they will not, these will not surprise anyone. Will they? Not surprise anyone. They might surprise someone. I think we all are playing to booketing character, perhaps. I think Brandon's right. Well, my, I, of course, Nathan Alberson, your humble and obedient host. And I'll just go ahead and give you mine. I'm a Slytherin, right up there with Snape and Bellatrix Lestrange, two upstanding people. A serious black. But did you know that Merlin himself was a Slytherin? No, did not know that. Right up there with arguably. Hogwarts goes that far back, huh? Yes. Apparently. First, the first class order of Merlin. I am right up there with the most famous wizard of all time. The guy that helped Arthur become the once and future king. Couldn't be more proud of it. Now, yeah. Brandon. Hey. What are you? Well, what am I? You're a human being. That's the answer to that. And you're the scholar who's a baller of reading. I am. And tell us your Harry Potter stats as gleaned from the Pottermore website. Well, as everyone knows. Everyone. A Ravenclaw. Brandon, That's of what I am. Of course, I'm a Ravenclaw. Intellectual, witty. Wisdom. Wisdom. E. e. Wise, I think, is what we call that. Ish. <laughs> yes. Wisdom-y. wisdom Wisdom-ish. I'll take it. Wisdom-esque. I'll take it. Jake. Hey, Nathan. You're, of course, pastor of, who's the master of reading. Reading. What is your house of Hogwarts? Better be Gryffindor. Gryffindor. Jake's just a all-American hero. Me and Harry, best yep. buds. Captain America would have been a Griffin McGonagall. Boy. She's my girl. Yep. Dumbledore's your Dumbledore, dude. Dumbledore. He's my dude. We ended with a cliffhanger last time. Can one of you describe said cliffhanger to me? Catch the audience up. So we were asking the question, should Christians read yes. Harry Potter? Mm-hmm. And the cliffhanger was that the Bible condemns witchcraft very explicitly. Mm-hmm. And it condemns witchcraft as it appears in Harry Potter in many places, mm-hmm. divination, transfiguration, occultism. And so if these things are in Harry Potter, then... Um, Not just in Harry Potter, but... Praised as good by Harry yeah. Potter. Then shouldn't we... Made to look cool. Yeah, should we not read Harry Potter and let our kids read Harry Potter as it being dangerous? Should we not read Harry Potter? Should we not read Harry Potter? And tell our kids to read Harry Potter. Words are, in my humble estimation, our most inexhaustible source of magic. Is that from Harry Potter? It's Dumbledore. Alas, earwax. Earwax. <laughs> Anything you'd like to add to that description of the cliffhanger, Jake? Not only is the kind of witchcraft and sorcery that is made to look cool in uh, Harry Potter Condemned in Scripture. Um, Because it's made to look cool, it has the ability to form the imaginations and consciences of the children who read it, which makes it that much more dangerous. Yes, we talked a lot about spiritual or emotional grammar and how these things establish that for people. And a lot of kids are going to grow up thinking that... 
things that the Bible pretty much uses as metaphors for wickedness are good, just to take a less extreme example. And it's kind of like Shrek. A little bit like Shrek, yeah. How's it like, how's it like Shrek? Shrek turns the fairy tale upside down, introduces the anti-hero. Dragons mm-hmm. are good. A little bit good. like, if I may, Jake seeing all those parodies of Raymond Chandler before he came to the real deal. And when he finally read the real deal, it was diluted. It'll maybe even a little bit ruined for him because the way that he had been taught and formed and cast to approach you know, the private eye genre was as something cheesy. This is a very sure. minor example of what we're talking about, although not an unimportant one because, of course, Raymond Chandler is a genius and Jake's appreciation of him was mutilated in a way that was unfortunate. Although Jake, I think, appreciated him all right. Sure. Um, but to not think that he was the greatest thing that Jake had ever read would be a consummation devoutly not to be wished. For all those reasons and many more, which you can go back and listen to last time, we said Harry Potter, maybe... Not something Christians should read. Maybe. Yet. Brandon, have you read Harry Potter? Yes. Jake? Yes. Nathan? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have? You read that Harry Potter? Yeah, I did. I'm a Slytherin. You guys are so mean. <laughs> My Patronus is a Sphinx cat. <laughs> yeah, I ain't caught no hair. <laughs> Our listeners would be very sorry for me if they saw the tears that were coming from my eyes right now. So many. <laughs> Where were we? We all read Harry Potter. Okay, so we we've read all, Harry Potter. We've all read Harry Potter. We've all enjoyed Harry Potter. We all admitted, or you guys both admitted, to some feelings of uh, trepidation or guilt or maybe some mixed feelings about the whole thing. I admitted to less of those, but I also admitted to a bit of desensitization when it comes to reading stories of the occult or the supernatural, of which I've read many, 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 and many much more dark than Harry Potter. Not to my glory, but to my shame, mostly. Why did we read Harry Potter? What is our defense for this thing that we so clearly showed to be wicked last time? My first defense is y'all told me to. Well, Brandon, my first defense was I kind of like it. Well, that is an interesting defense, actually. I think that's a good place to start because I don't really feel all that bad about it. Yeah. And I'm not saying that my feelings are the ultimate arbiter of my morality, but I think it's interesting that I don't feel bad about it. You guys ultimately didn't feel all that bad about it or we wouldn't have done it. And most of the people at my church, we talked about a friend who does feel bad about it last week, but most people that I know, I don't want to generalize too much, but I'm just going to say maybe... I don't know, 70, 80% of people that I know just kind of like it and think it's fun. I would say all of our closest friends yeah. read and think it's fun. Yeah. yeah, I can't think of any exceptions to that rule. No. So, and these are all good Christian people who don't necessarily watch wicked things as a rule. And, you know, you, uh, Harry Potter does not set off alarm bells. Why not? Well, because despite the elites taking this argument, souring it, because they have. So you get this group of people that are like in New York City, you have the art for art's sake movements that's um, the, what is it, the for the city, the, those sorts in of the city in, the, the city in the city for the city movements. We have an art gallery in our church. Yeah, where they believe you can redeem the, the culture through the arts. Mm-hmm. And you guys talk about this a lot on The Sound of Sanity. Right. And they, yeah. so they ta- they've taken these arguments and they use it to justify Smoking pipes and reading hip books Mm -hmm. and drinking hip coffee and living in New York City so that they can be the sort of uh, Greenwich Village artists that they wish they could have been. And they take this argument and they make their arguments for art as well. That's 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 the what the caveat, the prologue to this, the warning. Right. 
that there's some truth in what they're saying. Right. It's literally a classic covenant about redemptive themes in Harry Potter. Yeah. What? There really is? Yeah. A classic covenant about redemptive themes is that covenant in Harry Potter. Seminary? I'm not sure if it's college or seminary. I just remember seeing it when looking up One of the Christian so, takes on this sort of thing. And so the problem there is they've made yeah. an idol out of proving that they can show everybody how culture is actually Christian. Mm-hmm. And how every part of culture, every art, Andy Warhol, Henry Miller, all these things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm being absurd now, but I'm sure you have somebody out there trying to say, ah, "You're not tropic, being absurd." Tropic of cancer has done it. Yeah. You know how? Well, somebody, some idiot for the Christianity Today, wasn't it? Or tried, or was it the Gospel Coalition tried to make the argument you could learn something from Fifty Shades of Grey? Yeah, we've talked yeah. about that on Sanity. Yeah, for well, sure. I mean, Wonderful little article called Fifty Shades of Love. Right. Yeah, and so whoever's stupid enough to write an article like that, <laughs> they've perverted this sort of thinking to suit their own attempt at, what, self-glorification, mm-hmm. pandering to society, passive passivity. In, and just in the sanctifying and baptizing anything that they like and that the culture happens to like without any thought as to the actual yeah, and, moral and content. Yeah, as long as they the... can trace that redemptive theme through right. it. Yeah. yeah. And so and that's the motivation behind it, just a giving in to culture because you just really want to be a part of the cool crowd. Yeah. Over on Sound of Sanity, me and Jake have a little skit thing that we do sometimes called the Popcorn, pop, popcorn Coalition, where we just talk about how everything is a redemptive <laughs> sacrifice and it's about a redemptive Except metaphor. Except we're not Southerners. Yeah. But yeah. We get really yeah, soft and effeminate with your voice. Soft and effeminate. Because Harry, what's actually interesting Harry about Potter is really a redemptive figure. Right, he sacrifices, he sacrifices himself, himself he for sacrifice. the for the greater good right. and for other people, for the people he cares most about, for the people that he really loves. Yeah, and so the response to those sorts of people is thanks, Sherlock. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Turns uh, out God designed the world, and yeah. it's got a lot of reflections of the story that he wrote into it. Yeah. Big deal. Yeah, so you're like big whoop. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> good good, good for you being able to read at a first grade level. Yeah. Did you um, notice that God put the color green in nature a lot too? Because that would be about as exciting. And of men and women are different. <laughs> yeah, well, they wouldn't. They might have trouble with well, that. Well, that's one. true. Well, then, uh, they are kind of dumb. But um, what's interesting about this is they just went on to third grade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they had stopped at first grade. <laughs> What's, so just a quick aside, actually, what's interesting about that movement is the fact that you see this exact same thing in the, in the liberal left right now. And so in the English department at IU, you have things like the Big Lebowski studies mm-hmm. or zombie studies or comic book studies where they're trying to show that they're really not above everyday man, that they're willing to yeah. go and engage with the culture and the artifacts that are made. So it's all just the same stuff and it's all just the weakness and effeminacy of our age. Mm-hmm. All that said... <laughs> <laughs> All that said. All that said, there is some truth in the fact that when you're building a world, you can build a world like she's like Rowling has built with Harry Potter and for it to work in its own way. And maybe it's easier to take a world like the Narnia world. Mm-hmm. It's probably easier to enter into the argument this way. He's built a world, it seemed, I mean, it, because Narnia is completely distinct from our own world. Right. It has its own rules. Magic works there. It doesn't seem, I mean, it, it's not satanic. It's not a cult. It's just the magic and it's unexplained, but it's magic and it's in its own way sweet and dangerous and all these things and it the world works by these rules. The magic. And you're never supposed to question it or get a eerie, weird, creepy feeling behind it. It's just this world as he's put together and it works and it fits and it makes sense as the characters go through it. We've talked about this before because we've talked about people who failed to do this, but that when an author succeeds in doing this, then that matters, right? Mm -hmm. So we're talking about the world, the created world that Rowling, that C.S. Lewis has made, and it's a world that works, it's self-contained, and it works 
by its own laws and rules, and we accept that. Mm-hmm. You go to the Lord of the Rings, and it works by its own laws and rules, and we accept that. You go to Harry Potter, as we've said, people have the right to be worried about that world. Yes. Because it's more like our world. But really, in the end, it is a world that works by its own rules and laws, and is self-contained. Yeah, and, and there'll be people that argue with that and say, well, it's actually supposed to be this world. Lewis made up Narnia and the rules of Narnia. Rowling is actually using the occult and right. actual rules of the yeah. occult and building a world in our within our world yeah. in, in, in a way around that. But And so uh, where but, I'm kind of trying to go with that, and it's just the f- first layer of an argument, mm-hmm. and it may have be full of holes. Right. But what it looks like is that what's the weakness about the redemptive, trying to redeem it all by saying, mm-hmm. oh, look, here's where you can redeem it, and here's where you can redeem it. It doesn't, it doesn't just take the story on its own merits right. and say it's just a story. And she's telling a story. Yes, it has these things that should concern us, and you should have discernment and be careful about. But in the end, here's what she's here's what's happening with this story, with its own rules, its laws, and it's not Satanism. Well, let's take a step back because I think this is kind of a two part argument. Let's start by saving the story of Cinderella. Okay. Like, let's make a case for why it's not sinful to read a story about a fairy godmother turning a pumpkin into a coach, because. Our friend, our mutual friend that we talked about on last week's episode, he might not like that because he would say that suspending the laws of reality, that's going against the world as God made it, using witchcraft to subvert the world. He would say that's the same thing that the Old Testament Mm -hmm. forbids, that the New Testament indeed forbids. We can talk about Harry Potter coming more close to the real occult, but first, I don't know that we've even successfully yet made space for fairy tales, for Lord of the Rings, for C.S. Lewis. Let's make space for that. And then we can talk about where Harry Potter falls on that continuum. Yeah, Yeah, that helps. Because what I was saying is you have have to understand what literature is actually trying to do. Mm -hmm. And so that gets to this, is that with fantasy, what I think the response is, is fantasy is not trying to show us the world as it actually works. Mm -hmm. Fantasy is trying to posit a world where it has its own rules and stuff that are fantasy. It's not the world. It's such a way to illuminate things about the world as it actually works. But we're not... we're not supposed to imagine that a fairy godmother could actually exist. Exactly. We're not supposed to imagine that fairies could actually exist. Mm-hmm. And right. the people that do have twisted fantasy and made it into the, um, what, a self-deluded... Fantasy. They self-delude themselves. Yeah. Right? The people who actually believe that these things are real. Just like the Irish when they... So it's the difference between superstition mm-hmm. and fairy tale. Superstition assumes that these things are real. Fairy tale are stories that are used for a purpose, but don't work with the laws of our universe, but work with the laws of the universe as created in the fantasy story. Okay, let me interrupt you there and throw a monkey wrench into this. Go ahead. Just play devil's advocate here. Good. Let's say I wrote a story where it took place in a universe Mm -hmm. where a person... I'm going to use this example because it's... I'm sorry, listeners, this is kind of an ugly example, but it's the best one that comes to mind right now. Let's say we wrote... I wrote a story where it existed in a universe where bestiality was a good thing, okay. where someone could <clears throat> sleep with an animal and it would be good. That's, you could say that that suspended the rules of our universe in a way that illuminated... I, yeah, I kind of don't want to even let you finish that argument okay. because the foolish part, the foolish thing you're positing there is that the laws of the universe also mean the moral laws. Mm. The moral laws are not suspended in a fantasy world. Otherwise, it wouldn't be useful for us. 
the moral laws have to stay so that they can actually teach you something. Okay, that's part of the. That's where our friend will say, "What about the moral law against sorcery? Harry Potter doesn't suspend that." And that's yeah, that's what we're going to keep running against, and so that's what we have to figure out. I ain't going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, I mean, I mean, I know where we need. I agree with you. I think you're on the right track. Yeah, and so what what we need to realize is that the moral laws that stay the same are going to be are going to be the moral laws that we accept here. Yeah. You thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You shall not sleep with animals. Mm-hmm. That's not going to change story to story. Right. You shall not serve Satan with divination and occultism. Mm-hmm. And in Lord of the Rings, for example, the character that gets into that dark occult stuff is Soromon, Yeah. who makes a pact with the enemy and is going places into the forbidden in that universe yep. where he's not supposed to go. And he is punished for it and shown to be wicked for it. Yes. The, really the primary villain of the piece, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, who cares about the big omnipresent force that is Sauron? Sauron is the most interesting bad guy in that, in yeah. that story. And so that helps. Yeah, but, because... your, but your guy is going to say, yeah, well, but Gandalf still dabbles. And so it's just blurred, blurred lines. Blurred lines. Yes, he will. He will say but that. then I guess your response to that would be, if you're looking at... Which the, is even more wicked. At he biblical might make con- the case that it's even more wicked because it just tries to blur the lines. At least Soromon and Voldemort showed that it's bad. Harry Potter makes it look like it's fun. Gandalf makes it look like it's a good thing. Right. Yeah. When you're making that kind of argument, you're assuming that all sorts of supernatural activity are wicked and that it's not the purpose and the intent behind it that's wicked. And so Gandalf is a supernatural, he has the ability to act supernaturally, obviously, in the world of the Lord of the Rings. Which, in that case, would make it not supernatural. It's sort of not. It sort of isn't. It would just be sort of a physical, that looks supernatural because... It's it's supernatural to us from our perspective because it's different than... It's the like natural Rawlings order that we know. The, yeah. Our world, we can get on a plane and it can fly us halfway across the world in a matter of hours. Middle Ages, I posit that idea. I get burned at the yeah. stake. It's considered supernatural. But, Not to give a villain speech from a Marvel movie, but as we talked about last time. But, but with, uh, with witchcraft and sorcery as it's condemned in the Bible, in my understanding, it's when you either use it for your own purposes to advance your own ends, or because you're accessing diabolical forces. This is explicitly demonic. It's explicitly demonic, yeah. And so in The Lord of the Rings, Gandalf is not acting through demonic forces. Saruman and Sauron, though, you're supposed to assume are. Yeah. And so there is a dividing line there, and I think that's where people who are making the argument that all magic is bad aren't making any room for people to be able to act in ways that aren't demonic but are still... Uh, to us, what seems supernatural. A fairy godmother in Cinderella is simply doing what any good godmother, fairy, or otherwise would do in helping her goddaughter yeah. go to the ball and have a nice dress and a coach and stuff. She just happens to have some resources at her disposal, but yeah. it doesn't violate the moral laws of what a fairy godmother should do. Yeah. She's just doing something. It's like a poor fairy godmother would do this. A rich fairy godmother would do this. A, well, a, fairy, fairy, go- a fairy godmother is uh, an externalization of of godmother of, of yeah of providence. Yeah, it's what happens to the poor, oppressed but good yeah. damsel in distress. <clears throat> well, she gets lifted up and taken care of by supernatural means. So it's externalized as the godmother uh, who has special powers, but it's just. It's making a claim about providence, about the way that God rules the universe, actually. Just working and acting through, in the for the purposes of the story, through 
the godmother. And if you're a mind-numbingly sort of literalist, I guess you could argue that, well, why can't we just have God or why can't we just have... Let's just have the Bible. I, that's where I think I don't have as much patience for the for our friend's counter arguments. It's just like, you know what? We can have metaphors. The Bible's full of them. We can have something stand in for something. We can have an encapsulation of an idea through a character that represents something. You know, mm-hmm. if we get rid of all that, we're going to get rid of a lot of the scripture, the Psalms, the Proverbs, all the wisdom literature just to start with, then the parables, then the, pro- you know. A lot of um, story will be thrown out. Yeah, we're just going to throw out story. I mean, you have to throw out the Odyssey, mm-hmm. all those things. Well, now the Odyssey is an interesting We well, have the gods acting, and those are obviously dem- demonic forces. That people actually were worshipped and that people yeah. actually yeah i'd been waiting for the right time to bring up the odyssey not yeah. knowing when and how but yeah I, we've already read the odyssey and it didn't even occur to us to do an episode on why should we read this story about pagan gods pagan gods yeah. that People worship that, that people sacrificed to that they spilt blood for that yeah. they engaged they, in perverse sexual acts for that whole cultures were destroyed because of what and we don't even blink reading the odyssey yeah. why not because the gods are dead. Yeah. They're dead. Yeah. And I want to say, I alluded la- in last episode to growing up in charismatic circles where they take supernatural stuff really seriously. I think there is something that could be a good corrective in that for stodgy reformed people that don't believe in any kind of anything, you know, that hardly believe that God is anything That more. God is, acts supernaturally in this right. world. Yeah. They're basically just like functioning deists. On the other hand, I grew up with a lot of fear mongering. I grew up with a lot of interest. I would argue that my interest in, I've talked about loving to read stories of the supernatural and the occult. That all started with things that I watched on TBN, the stories that people told me about their encounters with exorcisms, with devils. There's a, there's a, a certain unhealthy interest that comes through that stuff. B, it really makes you, there are certain, I'm not arguing that you can't, look, I think there's a lot of reformed people that could probably stand to give the devil a little bit more thought and to know a little bit more about what the scripture says about the devil and demons and not to just kind of blow that stuff off. I think it's real. I think we contend not with flesh and blood, blah, blah, blah. But there is a certain sort of, uh, what's the word, overzealous respect or fear or, you know what, Jesus won. God won. The devil lost. He's been bound. He'll be cast into the lake of fire. I mean, he flees at the name of Jesus. We don't actually ultimately have anything to fear. At the end of the day, the story has been written. It's done. Christ died. He rose again. In a certain sense, the people, my sympathies are actually with the people that are just like, who cares about the occult? I'll read Harry Potter. It's a fun fantasy thing. Who cares? It's, you know, this stuff's meaningless. I don't want to go all the way there with them, but I think there's actually an argument to be made that if someone's just cheerfully oblivious of the occult even really being a thing and is just reading Harry Potter as pure flights of fantasy, there is a component, at least, of that that's healthy. In the same sense, this is why I thought of it, that we don't care about, we don't feel bad reading the Odyssey because Zeus is nothing. Mm. Those gods are dead, 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 dead. They're nothing. Nobody believes in them. As Chesterton famously said. Right. Chesterton says it somewhere. You can't blaspheme Zeus is his line. Like, you can't. Try it, you know? There's nothing sacred about him, and so there's no way to... He did. He did. And there is kind of a healthy sense of, you know, nobody believes that you can bury a mandrake and it'll grow into a baby or whatever it is. So, you know, if J.K. Rowling wants to make a little story out of that, I guess I don't really mind all that much because it's a mandrake. Who cares? I'm going in the other direction more than I actually... 
believe, but I'm making a point, so work with me, listener. The genius in the danger of what Rowling did is she took and built a very fully formed world. That's the genius of what she did, is it's a very fully formed and well-lived in world. It's got a lot of the same cool factor that Star Wars has. Mm -hmm. And the the genius of it is that she built it on uh, centuries of lore that had been built up, and she stole from a from a lot of places that have a lot of cultural cachet. And and the danger is that that cultural cachet is at its core, at its root, a long time back, satanic. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't use it that way. I don't think she uses it that way. I think she but she that, introduces a new science. Uh, she introduces this as a new science, a neutral science that allows her to do what fantasy and fiction writers do, which is create a world in which they they can tell a story about the things that they care about. Yeah, and I think me and my brothers all read Harry Potter. None of us have gotten into divination or the occult. Maybe this is simplistic to say, but I can point to those people that I know that never should have read Harry Potter that were very tempted by the occultic aspects, but I don't know. Most people just... They were few and far between. They were few and far between, yeah. Yeah, I guess somebody out there is going to be able to pull up statistics about huge spikes I'm sure right after they came out, there were huge spikes, just like Dungeons and Dragons. Well, I acknowledge it. I'm going to leave the part in where you say someone, yes, you can pull up those statistics and you can pull up quotes by the Wiccan churches where they're saying, we're so happy that Harry Potter's come along because it's a propaganda tool. I acknowledge all of that. And I also acknowledge that most of the people that I hang out with, for better or worse, and maybe that's a fault of mine. Maybe I should hang out with a broader group of people. Maybe I should be more loving to lower class, less intelligent people, perhaps. I mean, honestly, maybe there's a group of people that I don't associate with that I should who would be more tempted by Harry Potter. But in point of fact, the people that I mostly hang out with are just simply not tempted by the occult. They're just not. They're not going to try and raise the dead. They're not going to give into divination. They're not going to be interested in those things. They're not going to think about them outside of a Harry Potter book or daydream about them. They just don't care. No, and I think it's to J.K. Rowling's credit partly that this is true because she builds the world in such a way where the temptation isn't really a part of it. It's supposed to be something completely different than what we are what we have. Act- well, and we're going to talk about the ways in which she's not moral or immoral or doesn't quite get the morality right, but she does have the good sense to have a number of things in the book that are forbidden and ought to be forbidden and that she acknowledges within the universe are forbidden. And yes. there are the dark arts. Yeah. There are things that are wicked and that you shouldn't do. There are wizards who are bad and there are wizards who are good. There really is evil. Now, how she deals with that is wonky. Yeah, we'll talk more about that as we go. And also, I think part of it is that once you actually get into the wizarding world, as amazing as it is, it's also very, in many ways, quotidian, boring. Mm -hmm. It's just a world in which this story can play out. It's a world that's strange, just like the world of Lord of the Rings is strange to us, like the world through the wardrobe is strange to us. But it's a world that works through its own rules and logic and Mm -hmm. has its problems and its issues that come with that. But Part of my problem with when why I brought up the whole redemptive stuff movement is even though what's good, I was saying, is that at least they make us look at the story. What's wrong is that they then try to find, they try to redeem the story as though that's the one thing you need to do about a story. Mm-hmm. It's like find what's redemptive about it. Well, that's just stupid. What you need to do is just look at the story as a story. There might be redemptive aspects to it, probably will be if it's a good story, but otherwise just treat it as a story. Don't make it into a bigger thing than it is. Mm -hmm. That's when you get into these weird 
territories of like turning Harry Potter into a class or the Simpsons into a class. Mm-hmm. Simpsons and philosophy, Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, should Harry Potter be a week in a storytelling class? Sure. Yeah. Why not? I wouldn't care. But should you have a whole a week about the redemptive? Should you have a whole class devoted to the redemptive elements of Harry Potter? Mm-hmm. No, because that just shows that you've made your idol in the wrong. Out of the, well, you've made an idol. Right. Period. <laughs> <laughs> you got to make, make your idols in make the your right idols place. are the right things. <laughs> <laughs> So it sounds like maybe what we're coming back around to basically in summation is the point that Brandon made a little earlier, which we, we, me and Jake both pushed against some, which is the idea that a good fantasy story vi- may violate nat- plenty of natural laws. It's not going to violate moral laws. Yeah. And I don't think she thinks she's violating moral laws. Right. And she has moral laws. And I think they're more, and I think that that's what resonates with a lot of people, whether or not she goes the right direction is well ultimate the the ultimate question then really comes down to this is her use of wizarding mm-hmm. in violation intrinsically of the moral law or not yeah and that's the question that i feel comfortable maybe just not answering for people like everybody yeah. just has to make their own choice I'm obviously okay with it. I read the books. If I had kids, I'd be careful about when and how I introduced them to it. Ultimately, I think I'd probably let them read it at some point. You guys have said, I think on last episode, how you've handled that so far, and you'll continue to handle that from kid to kid and time to time. I guess my answer to that would be the same as my answer would be to, should someone read Anna Karenina? Mm -hmm. Does he violate the moral law in the way that he presents that story? No. No. Mm-hmm. Does he violate what we know to be true about the world in the way he presents that story? In a way, towards the end, yeah, with Levin, right? Huh. Uh, oh, just not not the way what we, but just what Levin ends up believing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, well, and that's the weakest part of the book is the... And I think that's what we're going to find out with Rowling, too. Mm-hmm. But she actually, though, that then it, she's not a good enough writer then to have her world still be real. Coherent enough. Because to... it will affect some of the things that happen in this story. Well, I will say, I suppose this will come out more in future episodes on this topic, but the things that really actually bother me about Rowling most, the stuff that I would be most conscious of wanting to talk through and process with a kid would not actually be the occultic elements. They would be the, the occultic elements might be a big part of it, but I think the number one thing would actually, the, just the postmodern notion that whatever Harry does is right and <laughs> anyone that's Harry's friend is cool and anyone that doesn't like Harry is dumb lack of actual authority or morality that's kind of at the heart of and the any, book. Yeah, is, any authority figure that's willing to see that about Harry. Right. And anyone who gets in his way is a fool. Right. Including Dumbledore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I'm sure we'll spend a lot more time talking about this, but ultimately, to me, that is the maybe the most dangerous thing about the book. No, I think that's the failure of the book. Yeah. And but, the thing that makes them less resonant and as artistically, yes. And not, yeah, no spoilers here, but I do think that's the big failure of the book. Mm-hmm. I don't think the failure of the book is the fact that she chose to have it in this world where are there occultic elements to it? Yes, but... Yeah, I mean, I guess ultimately... I think yeah, I'm, I'm with you in your answer. Um, if it makes you so uncomfortable that you don't think you should read it, then you probably shouldn't read it. And if you're attracted to it in a bad way, there's there will be people that are just for whatever reason attracted. I, I, I mean, heck, my midwife was a witch. Have I told that story on the booking before? <laughs> I think I have. I had a midwife. I wasn't born at the point I was in my mother's womb but they they I had a midwife that was helping with my mom along with stuff and they found out that she was practicing which I believe she had a broom and she she would fly on it and she was fired she did not get to help deliver me uh because my parents didn't really want a witch so I don't know what the point of that story on it huh 
that's the story. Maybe it was her mom. There was somebody in her family, whether it was her or her mom, that could fly on her broom. I wasn't around to see any of this, but thankfully she didn't get to help out with my birth. And Unverified. Yes, this is an un- undocumented story, but you know, she shouldn't read Harry Potter. But I don't feel that bad reading Harry Potter. Jake had an interesting challenge for me earlier today when we were talking about this, which he said, we've come out so strong, particularly on Sound of Sanity against a Wonder Woman, I think was the example, against feminism. Wonder Woman and Black Panther, but we can leave Black Panther aside. Yes. So, well, maybe you can restate what it is as as regards feminism. What we've said, so this is, there are two aspects. There's the moral order and there's the natural order. Mm Mm-hmm. The more the natural order, Star Wars and Wonder Woman are, and a lot of movies, basically any feminist movie is subverting the natural order and therefore teaching bad grammar mm-hmm. about the way God made us as yes. men and women, bad sexual grammar. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've come out really strongly against that because it programs and teaches us to accept things about the natural order that simply aren't true. Women are just as strong as men and they should be in fighting battles just like men and taking responsibility just like men and there's no difference. Yeah, and and the argument against that is well, no, this is a world in which, you know, she's actually a goddess or she's actually, you know, super powered and one where, you know, the force is a leveler, you know, it's not the same natural order that we're dealing with and it's meant to be able to tell. And I in particular have always said, bunk, this is programming you to think badly to, this is poisoning you. Why? Ah, That's always been me. So, and now we're making this basically the same argument, which is okay. We're talking about actually subverting the natural order here. Mm-hmm. We are not made in such a way as to be able to say a word and flick a stick and get things, make things happen. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think my argument would basically be Wonder Woman doesn't just subvert the natural order. It also subverts the moral order. Wonder Woman is taking responsibility as a woman in a way that she's not called to do and that is, in fact, immodest. Whereas one could at least argue, and I admit it's a gray area, but one could at least argue with Harry Potter that he's basically doing what he should do as a as a as a young boy learning to take responsibility and coming of age. He's not he's being moral in a world where you can float and shoot things out of a stick. Yeah, and it doesn't quite subvert the natural order in the way that Wonder Woman does, because Wonder Woman subverts the natural order in its hierarchy. At least in Harry Potter, we're still using things that are beneath us as tools towards our ends, right? We're still using the natural world so for our purposes. So fulfilling the creation mandate just with different rules. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I really think we can argue back and forth about whether Harry Potter gets it right. But if you're going to argue for Harry Potter, that's kind of what you have to say. And if you indefinitely with uh, your Lord of the your Rings or your Cinderella or your yeah. whatever, that's what you say is. So that's that's why it doesn't, feel unna- it doesn't feel unnatural in the way that like The Last Jedi feels unnatural. Right. There really is a twisting of the natural order in those movies yeah because it's not just the natural order it's the natural law it's the natural moral law all these things that are getting twisted yeah the fact that ray can float does not twist reality as much as general haldo just being general haldo so yeah take that last jedi general haldo was able to escape the dinosaurs i don't know why she shouldn't be able to i don't believe that women are capable of escaping dinosaurs trembling feminine legs would betray them yeah not without manly guys like jeff goldblum she did it and samuel l jackson couldn't yeah oh yeah no she was still terrified until she ran into the australian guy Mm mm-hmm who also no, didn't make died. it. The Australian guy died? Yeah, heck yeah. Oh, oh the clever girl. Clever, clever girl. girl. <laughs> Shoot her! <laughs> that was a cool movie. I don't think all those dinosaurs should have been women, though. Those subverting the natural hierarchy of dinosaur. They changed. They had, they, they, had, uh, they transitioned. That's true. 
life found a way. Well, I have we successfully defended Harry Potter? Do we feel good doing more episodes about Harry Potter, guys? Is there anything else you want to say about it? I think no matter where you land on this, there's a certain uneasiness that you should feel about it as a Christian. Whether you land on the pro or the con, you're saying. Yeah, well, and especially if you land on pro Potter. Sure. The, there's a certain uneasiness that you that it is healthy, a certain tension that's healthy to carry. And that somehow, I don't know how exactly, well, I do know how, but somehow just isn't analogous to Cinderella or Lord of the Rings or... No, Cinderella is a fairy tale and in the fairy tale and in those fairy tale worlds, the witches are always bad. Dragons are always evil and... Not the reluctant dragon. What fairy tale is that? I don't know. Is that some story about the some a reluctant dragon? Isn't that a fairy tale? I don't know. Isn't He's... that like a modern... It's not Rudyard Kipling. <laughs> yeah, but it's but like... It's it might like, as well be. Cred Yard <laughs> Crippling or whatever we call it. It's modernist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I think you're right. I think people should have space to read Harry Potter and do whatever they want about it, and we can live in harmony. And I'd like to buy the world a Coke while I'm at it. Here's the thing about the whole stupid argument that's made it so difficult to do these last two episodes is that both sides can be super condescending about it. Yeah. The side, like, oh, well, you wouldn't read Harry Potter? Come on, man. Like, it's just whatever. That's the pro Potter. And then the anti is like, oh, well, you would read Harry Potter? Well, you must be a witch. So where would George McDonald fall, Brandon? Is that good magic or bad magic in those George McDonald books? Oh, he would be good, but weird magic. Weird magic. Weird magic. We haven't talked about weird magic. Yeah, we haven't talked about weird magic yet. (laughs) Strange magic. Yeah. Is that a movie? Strange Brew is a movie. Uh, Moaning Myrtle. Where does she fall? Bad juju. Can we all agree that Moaning Myrtle Myrtle's bad news? Yeah. Especially movie Myrtle. Movie Myrtle. Movie Moaning Myrtle. A difficult tongue twister. B, she is interested in Harry Potter. Yeah. In an unhealthy way. What about the stogging in the books? We haven't even talked about that. We've had this oh, whole discussion about the, the morality of Harry Potter. We haven't even, we even haven't talked, talked about, about the morality of Harry Potter yet. We're, yeah, yeah. we're holding off on that. We've just been talking about whether people should read it yeah. or not. You will... Well, but largely because of the witchcraft. Right. That's been the, the argument The witchcraft today. is the principal argument yeah. to make against it. We you could it. argue that Harry's a bad protagonist, that the, the moral sense of J.K. Rowling, apart from witchcraft, is... But I think we're holding off on that for later episodes. I mean, I really think that there's... Yeah, we can talk about that in later episodes, but I really think that there's a lot, a lot, a lot of ways in which rolling tracks with the odyssey in star wars yeah i well we'll talk about this in other episodes this is a good cliffhanger i disagree i think moral i think moral has a rolling failure i think rolling at the end of the day had a certain moral lack of courage and that it does in fact make those books quite a bit lesser than they could be the whole the whole harry potter saga but well, i think that's what i just said oh i thought you were that's saying the said. opposite i'm sorry i misunderstood no jake was agreeing with you i thought you said that it was right on par with the odyssey and lord of the rings well and... but they fell. i didn't say the lord of the rings said i said the odyssey and star wars which both have oh Okay. failure. I'm sorry. I was just I was just <clears throat> assuming that the Odyssey and Star Wars were both the greatest things of all time. And so you were saying Harry Potter must be too. And so I was like, wait a second. I was stupid. Take two. Say your thing again and I'll agree with it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what came before what I said. He was saying. All I was trying to say is that there's a certain sense in which I really think that when it comes to the moral failures Brandon was just talking yes. about, actually, that rolling tracks with... The Odyssey and with Star Wars. Yeah. Yes. 
I agree. I think it, it, the part, the discussion that will be interesting to have is whether the Odyssey and certain Star Wars movies don't. I might argue that some of those things succeed wildly in spite of themselves in ways that Harry Potter doesn't quite manage to do. But we can talk about that later, I suppose. That'll be our cliffhanger. Because next week, guys, we're going to actually talk about Harry Potter. What? Finally. Three weeks Yay! and we haven't even talked about it yet. We've done three episodes now? Yeah. Hey, you know what else we haven't done? We haven't done donor shoutouts. Yeah, we haven't. The most exciting um, part of the program. All right, folks, we're wrapping up right now. We're going to do some donor shout-outs. All right, guys, let's do some donor shout-outs. Now, Jake, if somebody wanted to be included in a donor shout-out, what would they have to do? They'd have to go to Patreon, which is different from Patronus. Patreon.com forward slash the booking and help support our work so that we can continue to bring the booking to you for at least $10 a month. B-O-O-K-E-N-I-N-G. Yeah, at least $10 a month. $10 a month or more gets you a donor shout out. Two cups of coffee. Two. If you're One assuming. Culver's Mill. One Culver's Maybe Mill. Maybe three. Some eggs and bacon at your Bob Evans. $10 bean and cheese burritos. A moons Ten over one. my a grand slam it slamwich. Yeah, one of Brandon's favorite sandwiches. If I'm love, not mistaken, love those things. The grand slam. Have you ever been to Denny's before? I don't know. It's pretty disgusting. Is it? We've got a lot of disgusting breakfast places in town. It might be one of the more disgusting ones. Huh. That place that tastes like motor oil is the worst. Greenbrier, Greenleaf, Cloverleaf. Yeah, Cloverleaf. Cloverleaf. I like Cloverleaf actually. I like the Cloverleaf. Yeah. Really. All right, guys, let's do some donor shout-outs. And what I'm going to have to ask you to do, because we did some Harry Potter-related thing last week. So this week, let's say a line from Jurassic Park. No, no. (laughs) And then I think you both probably can come up with enough lines from Jurassic Park to get us through this. I I might be able to help out. The first one? Any Jurassic Park movie that you can name. First one. All right. Your Jurassic Park, your Lost World, your Jurassic Park 3, your Jurassic World, your Jurassic World 2, Fallen Kingdom. Dr. and Mrs. X. Professor. Sorry, Professor and Mrs. Mrs. X. You've got a T-Rex? We've got a T-Rex. All right, Jake. You got your Catherine and Eric. I reversed that for some reason. Your Catherine and Eric, the bird loves. Eric and Catherine, the lovebirds. Nobody cares. Is that from Jurassic Park? Yeah. It's when, what's his face is, you know, guy's going to come and set up the whole deal with. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, don't say my name. Hey, it's him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nobody cares. Dodgson's here. Dodgson. Okay. Uh, Yeah, that's like one of my favorite parts. Benny and Dana Tiberius, Brandon. Benny and Dana Tiberius. Hold on to your butts. (laughs) I stole my next one. I don't know what I'm going to say now. Well, I can think of a few things you could say. Jay and Katie, who are cold and love cheese. Life finds a way. To who? Jay and Katie, who are cold and love cheese. You got to shout them out. Our good friend, Uh-uh-uh, you didn't say the magic word. Uh-uh-uh, you didn't say the magic word. She's probably not even old enough to know that reference. Um, uh, DJ Sammy G. DJ Sammy G. <laughs> Sorry, I was going to try to laugh like Cold Plume on the copter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> pretty, I can't make myself try pretty, to do it. That's a pretty great start of a Cold Plume. <laughs> I can you were so busy caught up with whether or not you, or you could, you didn't stop to think whether or not you should. Very nice. Uh, my beloved mother, Beth, Brandon. My belo- uh, Nathan's my lo- beloved mother, Beth. Mm-hmm. Nathan, when you got to go, you got to go. 
<laughs> my beloved brother Beth has gotten a couple of disrespectful ones in a row now, if I'm not mistaken, and I am not pleased. Um, I'm gonna have to give Jake to have Jake do my beloved mother Beth. David's mighty men transport. I can think of an apropos one for this. You want me to do it? Yeah, you better do that. I told you we should have put locking mechanisms on the doors. That's a line from Jurassic Park. Uh, John and Jill, the lovebirds, Brandon. John and Jill, the lovebirds, and little baby Max. And little baby Max, of course. Clever girl. Little <laughs> <laughs> baby Max is more of a clever boy, but I'll take it. Uh, Robert and Rhonda, the lovebirds, Jake. Robert and Rhonda, the lovebirds. There's some very famous lines we haven't said yet, guys. I'm sure there are. MGF. Those are the initials of the line, MGF. Goldblum says it in more than one movie. He says it Must in... Must go faster. That's absolutely right. He says that in JP and ID4. Must go faster, must go faster. Uh, Brandon, the inscrutable Jenny Z. The inscrutable Jenny Z. All I've got is the blood-sucking lawyer. <laughs> You're welcome, Jenny Z. Uh, Jake, the Andrew and Esther, the lovebirds, and Guys little baby Timothy. Blanks. Andrew and Esther, the lovebirds, and little baby Timothy. You, neither one of you has done the most famous line from the movie yet, I don't think. I don't think you've done it. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe you have. It's a pretty famous line. Right up there with Life Finds a Way. Give him a clue, because I've got one. This is, this is Jake's turn. Um, okay, this line is said by John Hammond. He says it when they first see the brontosaurus. It's a very simple, elegant line. Welcome to Jurassic Park. That's right. <laughs> Dr. Grant and my dear Dr. Sadler, welcome to Jurassic Park. Whose turn is it? Is, is that it? it? Well, Jake still needs to actually give us an Andrew and Esther the Lovebirds. No, bird. I said that first. Did oh, you I? did? Andrew and Esther the Lovebirds? Yeah, welcome birds. to Jurassic Park. Oh, okay. Welcome to Jurassic Park. Uh, Lily of the Valley, Brandon. Lily of the Valley. Shooter! <laughs> Shooter! <laughs> uh, Jimmy Beam and little Annie Oakley. Uh, now, John, there will actually be dinosaurs in this dinosaur park or something, something, something like that in there. I really hate that man. That's that's the line. Uh, Nathan, not me, Brandon. Nathan, not Nathan, Nathan. Um, first he cuts you here. He cuts you uh, here. And, that's... and then he slices you across the belly. The point is, you're still yeah. alive before he starts to eat you. You know, if you wanted to scare that kid, you could just pull a gun. Our new friend, Jake, uh, the friend of, I believe, Jay and Katie, who are cold and love cheese, the immortal Chelsea. Really hoping for a line from Mr. DNA. Dinosaurs. <laughs> Jump. That's not a lie. Oh, and Timmy's holding on to the thing. Today was written and produced by Nathan Alverson, Jacob Mensel, Brandon Chastain, all here. Rate and review the podcast, folks. It really helps us out. You can also go to patreon.com forward slash the booking, make a do make a deduct or make a deduction. Make a donation there. That helps us out. But if you can't afford to do that, then please, as I said, just rate and review us on iTunes. Give us five stars. Leave us a little review, which Jake will now dictate for you exactly what to say. The Booketing is the best podcast ever. I am not under the imperious curse. Definitely not. Definitely not. Definitely not. Definitely not. Can we put these people under the imperious curse? Imperio. Imperio. Do you have to say something after? Like Imperio. Mm, Imperio. 
Oh, okay. It's not very specific. All right. Next week, guys, cliffhanger. We're going to find out just... We've gotten all the ancillary matter out of the way. We're going to talk about those Harry Potter books. And we're going to find out what we think about them. Has it ever taken us three weeks worth of episodes to actually get into talking about the book? Has there ever been a series of books that has been... As rich and rewarding? No. (laughs) Have we ever... Have we ever taken on seven books at once? We haven't. And here we go. Yeah. And here we go. go.